And this is the 14th day of January, 2024, year of our Lord. This is our communion service on this Son's Day. We do this morning um, send our prayers to our whole congregation. Amy's uh, family is down sick. We do pray for her father. It's, uh, he just recently had a pacemaker put in, and now it's he's got the big COVID. So I'd certainly pray for the family in that, and they're keeping an eye on him, and along with the rest of the family, um, uh, as far as that sickness goes. Our, our family as well, being with uh, Amanda and Jolene. I understand Jolene's starting to come out of it. She's been sick for quite a while, so we certainly pray for them as well. By way of announcement, uh, we, we're going to switch our, and this is, uh, as I said, not, I'm all right. I'm all right with this saying it's selfish. We're going to make, move our Thursday night uh, group Bible study to Tuesday night so that, uh, you know, and like I said, it's it, uh, I've got an extra day off now. I've got Fridays off, so me and my bride can, my bride and I can have a, a uh, early Friday night. So purely selfish, but I think I think my bride deserves it, right? All right. Um, so th- today we have our communion service, and uh, uh, Becca tells me, you know, and we are we're on a big screen uh, at home. So uh, welcome me to your house. Anyway, um, all right, uh, let's see, where are we going to start off this morning? Uh, our, in our, um, the title of this, this message, uh, communion service message, I am on call, so if I have to go to a commercial break, that's because my phone rang, so anyway, uh, I'm going to start off, let's, let's, let's start with uh, Matthew chapter 23, and this is a passage, I want to go back in, um, and something we've covered over the week, and that is the love of God. And um, so let's, let's just pick up with uh, Matthew chapter 23, verse 35. Matthew 23, verse 35. 23, sorry. One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Stop right there. This point, the um, this is the Passover week, and uh, which comes every year. But this was one, this was a um, a more special week than the others. For the and this week, the, and this particular Passover, which was just uh, a couple days away, maybe, maybe uh, just a couple days away, that um, on the fourteenth of Nisan was when the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, our Lord Jesus Christ, was going to die on the cross. At this time, the lambs, as the lambs were being being inspected, so was our Lord Jesus Christ being inspected on this day as the Lamb of God. He's being inspected by the Pharisees, the Herodians, the high priests, uh, even, uh, and even the, the governorship. And, in fact, Pilate was the only one that actually said that I see nothing wrong with this man. I see no wrong in him. But, nonetheless, Pilate would give the okay to crucify him. But, in this general case, here's a lawyer, this lawyer, an expert of the law. 
And he asked him a question. He is the one who was sent, um, sent by, by, the, by the Pharisees. And he asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Again, the title of this service, is, the title of this message is The Love of God. And we're going to start off this morning with our morning hymn. Please stand. And we are going to, our, our hymn is going to be The Love of God.
Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time together this morning. We pray for those who are sick and those who are down. We pray, Heavenly Father, for wellness, for for a quick recovery, getting back on their feet. For the others that are in the family, we pray, Heavenly Father, that you protect them from the from the things that are going around, strengthen them, be with Amy's dad. Uh, pray, Heavenly Father, special care for him and um, healing from him and having recently having um, heart surgery and now having COVID. We pray, very vulnerable. We ask that you be with him. Pray, Heavenly Father, this morning for our service. We pray, Heavenly Father, be worthy. And these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may take your seats. They say that there's two gods, in a sense, that there's the God of the Old Testament and there's the God of the New Testament. The old, the God of the Old Testament is, um, is unyielding. He is quick to condemn, quick to, quick to bring down his wrath upon men. As compared to the God of the New Testament, which is a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of, that of, of understanding, and, and, and that's, that's not right. We have the same God. The same immutable God from the Old Testament and and on into uh, in the Old Testament all the way through to the New Testament, and we look at God as being that God owes us or God we we forget about grace that grace is the prerogative of God and the mercy is the prerogative of God, and to look at God as as a God who lacks grace and mercy who refuses to extend grace and mercy in the Old Testament, is simply not true. And certainly he has extended grace to those people. Grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. And we look at it as if the um, that at any time that God doesn't execute his justice, that God, you know, when God does execute his justice, that he is not, he is no longer the same God. No, he is very much God. But God cannot perpetually allow the, first of all, God cannot perpetually allow the perpetuation of sin without him condoning it. But number two, who of us, any of us, and who is mankind who ex- not expects God's grace and mercy to be be brought upon us rather than Understanding that it's God's prerogative to extend grace and mercy. But why? All of this turns down, all of this points to the love of God. Salvation is the love of God. God's divine prerogative of grace and mercy is a product of God's love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. What is it? What What's the motivating aspect to this verse? It's God's love. And God, 
And it was Jesus who demonstrated his love. Again, dealing with love. Um, he demonstrated his love. And while we were yet sinners, while we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. See, God is love. He is the initiator of love. The response to God's love is on our part. You see, God initiates love. He opens the door. It was God who, uh, who at, when Jesus died upon the cross, who ripped the veil from top to bottom. And it is God who says, come. It is God who welcomes us in. You see, we do not. We do not invite God anywhere. We don't invite God into our hearts. We don't invite Jesus. It is Jesus. It is God who invites us. It is God who is the one who comes. And so our love for God is a response to God loving us. We love because he first loved us. And how do we begin to respond back to the greatest love, to the very greatest act of love? And that would be an important question. How do I love God? How do I express my love for God? How do I come to love? I've known people, I, and I, I meet people now with, with a love. And certainly where, where I am today, I could I generally say I love God more. It's like my wife. I love God more today than when I first started out. And looking back on it, being saved, being being brought into the family of God, I really didn't have a love for God. What is this love? Being a new believer, how was it that I was to love him? I didn't know how to love God. And in fact, I demonstrated my disdain for God in a sense that I went about my way. I was still the same old Jacob, we we're studying Jacob from our our personal study right now. We're going through the Bible. And I was the same old scoundrel that I was at the moment that I was saved. And all of us were. Whoever, If you were a scoundrel coming into salvation, you're still a scoundrel. If, if you're morally right, if you're still a moral person, you're probably still a moral person. But we can, can we generally say that, and where we are from today, that... We don't love we we don't know about the love, how to love God because we do not even know God's love. And a part of our working out our salvation with fear and trembling, and as a result of that, we come to knowing God and coming to know God and knowing the depths of our salvation through the length of how much we were we were sinners and then being saved from that sin. Certainly, we could come to a point of understanding or at least coming to a point where we can start to respond to the love that was initiated by God. Going back to our passage in 23, Jesus would be examined by the high priest. He would be examined by the Sadducees, he, the Herodians, the scribes, the, the governorship, and all of them. And um, just like those lambs were were being examined themselves. And um, so each of the Sadducees, they took their turns at Jesus. And the Pharisees took their turns. And others would join in 
to cross-examine Jesus. And then Matthew twenty-two thirty-four again. But when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. One of them, a lawyer, and a lawyer in this, uh, and this is an expert of the law. He asked him a question, teacher, which is the great commandment and the law? See, at this time, as we as we taught over the week, there was a running debate. Between different, um, the, between different, uh, how would you say, different sides. They were starting to prioritize the commandments, and which of these commandments were greater? Uh, which of these commandments that if you broke them, you'd be it would be a capital offense? Which of these commandments, if you did these, certainly you'd be stoned and put to death? Compared to the other ones where you could just kind of, well, they're kind of like misdemeanors or something that you can overlook. So there was a debate back and forth and maybe from uh, more than two camps. Maybe there was another camp saying all of them are just important. Another camp would say, well, you got to obey these and these are okay too. You know, so so they, this, they sent this lawyer to Jesus and Listen, when they were doing this, there was a crowd around Watt. It was always a crowd. Um, the the Pharisees wanted to have a crowd. The the because all of them wanted to have a crowd around so that when Jesus trips over himself, when Jesus finally um when Jesus finally trips up, all the audience would be able to see, everyone around would be able to see, um, and and say, Well, there there's the there's the flaw right there. There's where Jesus tripped up. But the fact is, but every time, every one of these groups, every time they went after Jesus, they themselves were discrediting not just Jesus, but they were discrediting themselves. Group by group by group. was, And it was just like John, John the Baptist. When they came to John the Baptist and, they were, uh, and, and his disciples were complaining that Jesus and his disciples were baptizing all people were coming to them and not not to john to get baptized and john chastised the disciples he said look look uh look fellas um i must decrease he must increase well what these religious leaders were doing they were seeing themselves decreasing in the eyes of jesus was gaining popularity these religious sects, each one, um, again, Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, Herodians, have added, uh, whatever it was, they were being discredited in the eyes of these people, and Jesus was, his popularity was gaining. Not only that, when we find also in Mark, we're not going to turn there, but you go to Mark, and this same this lawyer was actually impressed with Jesus' answer. And so there was also... These groups were also seeing people in their own ranks um, defect and start going over toward uh, and 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 looking finally upon Jesus, as it were. So Jesus was gaining popularity with the people. The religious leaders, with every attack, were themselves losing support of the people. And while it was that John the Baptist had no problem with decreasing in 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 the eyes of the people, these these religious leaders 
they they did not want to lose the support of the people by no means. So they had, and and they were planning to kill Jesus. See, one of the one of the problems also at this particular time, they wanted to abide. These religious groups wanted to abide their time. This was not the time to arrest Jesus. This was not the time to dispose of him. Because again, with popularity they'd have a riot on their hands. But in a sense, Jesus was pecking a fight. See, Jesus controlled the, the timing. The timing had to be perfect. Again, everything would coincide with the Passover and bring the lamb, uh, with the lamb to the slaughter, Jesus was going to go to the cross. So here's the, going back to the argument, here's the group, um, and with the argument, with the different groups, the different different sides of this. It's a satanic ploy. Um, because if Jesus would have answered one way, Jesus would have answered, well, you'd, you'd keep these and keep that. Oh, man, they would have, you know, he would offend one side of the group. And the other side, yeah, okay, we won the argument. Or if he chose this side, that side would um, defend the group. Or or if, or in any other way, they could they could say, uh, you know, they and maybe maybe treating or taken away from law or whatever. But if he chose a side, this is a satanic ploy because then you start this is a way Satan starts whittling away and start dividing groups. You see, that's what we have today, folks, with all the different groups, and Satan continues to divide people by groups, blacks and whites and and um and sodomites, and um, straights, and this, and that, and, um, and, he, and, and he, he, he divides. And, um, and, and, and creates factions. So Matthew twenty two thirty seven, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is a great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Love, the word love here is agapao. And agapao means to love, to value, to esteem, to feel or manifest generous concern for, be faithful toward, to delight in, to set, to store upon. The word agape, and this is integrity love. It's different than philos. Philos is your friendly love. It's, it's your love for friends. It's attractive. Philos is, um, is that I've got, I've got my buddy. Um, I've got a philos, philos love for my buddy. Um, and I, we, we, we do things together. We go fishing. We, um, we, we are, we're compatible. We have a rapport together. We share, maybe we've shared a military together or we share, share a certain interest together. Um, what have you, maybe, uh, but we have is, their personalities and all that. And, and that's okay. 
you see, philos is discriminatory. I don't have to philos everyone on the block. I don't have to philos anyone. But they, but being discriminatory, I say, this is my friend, this guy's my friend, and this guy's my friend. I, I philos him, him, and him, but I don't philos this person, this person, or this person. They may be obnoxious. We may not hold anything in common. We may, that's okay. But when it comes to agape, Agape, that is a, a, a mandate. Agape is mandate. Even the love for man and love for God. We're going to find it both ways. The love for God, the love of God is agapao. The love back to God is agapao. And the love for man is agapao. And, um, and then so, and Jesus adds the second. He's saying there's two. So Jesus adds the second. And he says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Same love, agapao, your neighbor. And um, and the word uh, plesion, plesion is your neighbor or someone close. A person who lives close beside others. And who thus, by implication, is part of the so-called in-group. This is a group that which as individual identifies both ethically and culturally. Neighbor, or he can be a brother. According to the Jews, any member of the Hebrew race and commonwealth, anybody that's a Jew, that, that's your neighbor. But um, according to Christ, any other man irrespectable of race and religion with whom we live or whom we have chance to meet. All right? There is that love on those, that agapa on those people whom we, whom we meet up with, those, our co-workers, our, uh, our neighbors, whom where we live, um, those uh, within the church congregation. So here we go. Jesus said, first of all, the number one commandment is to love God with all your heart, with all your with all your mind, with all your strength. Um, and the second one, like it. And when he says that, when he when he puts these three, these three things together, when he says, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself," um, or and you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's your and what all the we can break all these three th- three things down. But let's just let's just put them together and say, with your entire being, your entire being, that you are to love God, and that's the challenge. Is well, not only the challenge, but it is the objective of the spiritual life is to, in response to God and who and what God is and that God initiated love, ours is to respond back to the love of God. Let's take a look at um, the Ten Commandments. Let's take a look at these. Let me see if I can bring these up on the board. How do we do this? All right, Greg's not here, but let's give this a try. 
what do we do like that? All right. And bring it up on the board. All right, we got everything running. Grady, I miss you. I got them outlined on the board. Let's take a look. You got the five, the Ten Commandments broke down to five and five. The first commandments starts out, you shall love, you shall have no other gods before me. Okay? Um, you shall, number two, you shall make no idols. Three, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Four, keep the Sabbath day holy. And five, honor your father and your mother. And these five, these five, remember that Jesus said, you know, there, there's two great commandments. To love God and to love your neighbor. The first five is God-centered. The first five to, again, you have no other God before me. You shall make no idols. You shall take not take the name Lord, name, Lord your God in name, his name in vain. To keep the Sabbath day and honor your father and your mother. These are God-centered. Um, honor your father, mother. Uh, honor your father and mother. God, uh, Jesus demonstrated this in His love for the Father. It's also honoring your father and mother, where you're going to learn to love God. In Deuteronomy, as as parents are to raise their children, it is it is not responsibility of the church. It's not responsibility of school, um, but it's responsibility of Christian parents to raise their children up in the love for God. So these first five are God-centered. And um, in, that, in the, in the um, centering, when, unless you can get these first five right, the other five is going to be a little bit more difficult. The, um, the first five are God-centered and... Um, the second five are man-centered. By loving the first, um, by loving the first commandments, loving God will be reflected in our relationship. And when we have that down, and when we are growing in our love for God, then this this uh, second one. Let me see if we get that back. So when we when we have the love of God down, then the second will be will be no problem. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet, because these are the man-centered. And so Jesus, by his answer, actually says you are to obey all the commandments. There, there's not a priority. There's, it's almost like which child do you, which of your children do you love the best? Um, or let's, you don't, you cannot, you cannot separate these and and prioritize these. Um, so, in other words, how you hold the first five commandments with emphasis on loving God will be lived out in the second five commandments, relationship with man. 
1 John 4, 20-21. Someone says, I love God and hates his brother. He's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. What, what is that word? That word is agapao. So, come to the love of God with all your heart, with all your mind. See, those first five, those first five, loving God is a motivational virtue. And I'll say it as I've, I've taught it over the week. The expression of how you live your life as a Christian begins first with how you love God. Your habits, your um, aspirations, your 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 how you prioritize your life. We, we are into a new year and many people have, have made commitments to, to uh, they, they, and hopefully they made, hopefully you made some um, new year, some, you know, godly new year's resolution. Reading through the Bible is a good thing. Read your Bible. I do believe in doing that. Um, and uh, so you, you, there's there's many who, Started out with a, a reading through the Bible. Genesis is pretty easy. Most people have read through Genesis probably with every year before they get to Leviticus and then also, oh, no, <laughs> or the end of Exodus. Those, those are pretty difficult times. But how do I get through them? Or how do I make it a habit of prayer? And we know that we should be praying. How do I give more? Or how do I treat my obnoxious neighbor? How do I respond to to people who who um, disrespect me, who hate me, who does evil toward me? How do I handle all these things? It is so difficult. How do I like with Paul who says I keep doing what I do not want to do and those things I should do I I, I don't. How do I overcome the old man? Because we all have our weaknesses. And um, those weaknesses, by the way, are sin. How do I overcome those things? And we'll have, we'll have small groups. Oh, this is how you need an accountability partner to, to help you keep you from doing this and doing that. And f- folks, our problem isn't ours. Generally, our, we, we have a sin nature. We all have a sin nature. But our problem is boiled down to one thing. Do you love God? There are things and habits that I no longer do because I'm a married man. And I love my wife. And I just, I just don't go off and do things like I do. Not bad or good. I don't. I don't spend time away from the home, away from my wife. There's responsibility because there's a love for her that I have. There's a responsibility at home that I do for her. 
And my love for God changes my priorities. It changes how I see things over a period of time. I and, and my spiritual habits of reading through the Bible, of studying every day, getting into God's Word, of my prayer life every day, of taking my wife by the hand and praying with her, and other habits that are godly habits. How do I maintain and continue to do them? I have to have the motivational virtue in place. And that motivational virtue is my love for God. It is the reason and the drive to accomplish that which we need to accomplish in our lives. We want to accomplish the plan and the purpose of God for our lives, reaching to the objective of spiritual maturity. And that starts with the love of God. It is what gets us up in the morning. It's what gets us on our knees and praying. It's how we deal with anxieties. It's how we deal with the with with our obnoxious neighbors. It's how we live through the time when we get that bad news, either personally or or with a loved one. When our lives come to a point where the the it just seems like the bottom drops out. But uh, recently we went. I learned of a man, uh, and he's on our prayer list. I, I got to get more of the details. And um, I believe he's a Christian. And the same day that he was, um, he was going through the details of burying his wife. His wife just died. The same day he was working on the details of um, burying his son or burying his wife. He gets the um, news. That his young son has acute leukemia. How do you deal? How do you deal with these things when they come and they they're dropped on you? And and listen, they just sometimes sometimes you'll start. It'll, it'll be a nine eleven day. You get up in the morning, everything's just right. The sun's out, clouds, and all of a sudden. There, there is all of a sudden your whole world changes just like that on a dime. How do you deal with the crisis in your life? It, you have to know your God, and there has to be love for God. So it's also in our giving, our willing to give, and our willing to give all. And forsake every relationship because our love for God. Loving God is never on our own initiative. We don't get up in the morning and say, well, I'm just going to love God today. Okay? I'm going to do better at loving God. It's not on our initiative. Loving God is a response to God first loving us. Loving God is a result of working out our salvation, as I mentioned earlier, with uh, working out our salvation with fear and trembling. So our journey begins with going through that door. Our journey begins with hearing that gospel message that Jesus Christ provides eternal life for anyone that trusts in him for it. We know that there's a God. And we know, but and knowing God is not the problem. 
Knowing God is not the problem. The problem is that there's a chasm, an uncrossable chasm that makes God unreachable. In a part, and we are, and we rightly intuitively know that we are sinners before God on the other side of that chasm, and we are subject to the eternal lake of fire because we are sinners. What do we do? But then we hear the gospel that Jesus Christ provides eternal life for anyone that trusts in him for. And that we respond to that. That salvation is a free gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is by the grace of God, and we hear that message. And it's the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's not from our academic understanding that we come to accept this, but it's the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is doing to the human spirit, that we come to recognize Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as that bridge that, that crosses that chasm into a relationship, a righteous relationship with God. That's where it begins. But how much do we know at that point? How much did... How much was it that we we were to know to become believers in the Lord Jesus Christ? Not much at all. Not much at all. And so, as spiritual babies, we, we're just like babies in a physical sense. And even as young children, how much do young children really love their parents? They uh, parents are uh, parents are our, our guardians, our parents, and. Um, there may, there may or may not be a whole lot of affection there, especially a little baby. A little baby is the most selfish thing in the world. I've t- said that before. They don't care that mom's in bed at 2 o'clock in the morning. When that baby's hungry, it wants something to eat. When it's wet, it wants to change. It doesn't care. It doesn't care the inconveniences that it presents. It just wants it now. But you know what? And our... And our when our parents tell us to do something, we got to do this. Grady, when you, oh, Grady, you take the trash out. You know, you, uh, you know, and before you, before you can do whatever you want to do, you, you get, you got to take the trash out. And so, Grady, your attitude is, I got to do this, or you got to do my chores. I got to get my room cleaned. These are things I got to do. And then, and then we have you, Wiley. Uh, you, you're getting ready to go out, and you're getting ready to. Ch- your relationship is getting ready to change with your parents. You're becoming a man, son. And you're getting ready to go out, and you're getting to grow up. Now that love changes. The love that you have for your parents becomes a more of a could could be a more of a personal love, and the things that you do for your parents becomes a personal thing. This is what I get to do. This is this is what I get to do. And our, our teacher called it um, genuine humility or enforced humility and genuine humility. You go from I got to do this to I get to do this. We think of giving as the things that we do for God when we start out in little babies. This is what we got to do. We got to pray. We got to give. We got to 
um, go the extra mile. Live by, we got to live by the golden rule. We got to do this. We got to live by the commands. We got we got to all the got tos, and we look at the we look at the scripture as being restraint of sin in a legalistic sense, and that's what it is. It's legalistic sense. We can look at it as a bunch of do's and don'ts. But when our love for God begins to change, and as we begin to grow up, it goes from the I got to do to I get to do. I get to pray. I get to pray. I get to, um, I get to take in God's word. I get to read the Bible. I get. I, and when, when the challenges come along, there is the opportunity to glorify God in whatever challenge that comes in. When it comes to temptation, I can look at temptation. Temptation is not so great anymore because sin now becomes that which violates the very thing that I don't want to do because I love my God so much. So, Again, loving God is a result of working out our salvation with fear and trembling. And our journey, after we had taken that first response in faith at receiving the gospel message, is coming to know God through his word. Knowing God through his word. And um, and being, and through his word, it's not only with study, but it's also with meditation. I wish I had that um, that devotion on that George wrote earlier. But meditating on God's word, taking time in the stillness of the day, taking some quiet time just to to think about the things that are reading. See, there's one way to read through the Bible and to hurry up and get through it 365 days. And if you can do that, great. But just don't do that. Stop and think about what you read. Meditate. Think about who God is. Think about how God shows up. Think about how God deals with men. Prayfully have God open up the eyes of your heart to to retain and to be able to recall to mind the things that you learned. Help me, Lord. It's one of my prayers. Help me, Lord, as I'm reading through this, as I'm studying through your scriptures. Help me to love thee and to increase the capacity within my heart to love you more. See, in earlier times, there was, throughout the Old Testament, there was a number of ways that um, that men heard from God. It, it was directly. Abraham heard directly. Abraham, Isaac, or Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob heard directly from God through dreams. Through visions, through Christophanies, through the prophets, any, uh, and this is what God chose to communicate. But to us in this church age, with the completed canon of Scripture, God chooses to communicate with us through His Word, through the written Word. And um, and it honors God. 
that we seek him through his word, that we sit down with a Mary. Remember, Mary would sit down at the feet of Jesus while Martha was busy in the kitchen doing all of her, getting, doing this and doing that. And Martha complained about Mary for, you know, for not helping in the kitchen. And Jesus said, Martha, Martha. Hello. Okay, there you are. Martha, Martha. Um, you know, you're busy with so many things, but Mary chose the the better things. Hebrews one one says that God, after He spoke long ago to our fathers in the prophets, and in many many portions, and in many ways. And so, in this day, it's the message of Christ. And Romans ten seventeen says that. But, so faith comes through hearing, and hearing the message of Christ. So under the filling ministry of God the Holy Spirit, who teaches the human spirit all things, we begin to go grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We come not only just Jesus Christ, but also God the Father. We begin to understand when, when I come to the knowledge of what how bad I was, and in the light of God's righteousness, how unrighteousness, how unrighteous I am, and how righteous God is, and I recognize the grace. You see, grace demands a response as well. And in that, motivated by His love, extending His grace and mercy, lifts me out of. If if you could see the fire, I'm sure if we could see the pits of hell and what eternity would look like for those without salvation and recognize what we were saved from. We would live a life of not only love back to God in reciprocal fashion, but a life of gratitude to give back to God what he has done for us in love. I think this is, I think this was Paul. Paul was an ambitious person, but one of the motivation, motivated factor of Paul was he re- that he, his eyes were open to how that that he, he was the persecutor Christian? He, I, I'm sure for the rest of his life he could picture the horror of what he himself did and 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 what what he executed that. Uh, people of all ages, Christians of all ages, God's people, children being torn apart by the lines and and their families watching and any number of, of, of horrors that Paul, you know, in the stoning of Stephen right there and, and there, and I think these things weigh with Paul for the rest of his life. But it also made him recognize how great a God and how great a grace it was bestowed upon him. When we can recognize how great a grace that God extended to us, motivated by his love, then how could we not love God back? So, Take for example the. Let me see where where am I? Let's see. Yeah. 
Under the filling ministry of God the Holy Spirit who teaches the human spirit, we begin again to grow in knowledge of, of, of the Lord. And let me take it like this. We enter into, at the very beginning, we enter into a marriage relationship not knowing God. I said again, we don't love God prior to coming into this relationship. I didn't say I love God and I I want to be married to Jesus. I want I want want to be a part of that family. But by trusting in Him, I all I wanted to do was to avoid the lake of fire. Okay, I, like my buddy Andy said, I I got saved because of fire insurance. I didn't want to go to hell. Very good. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. You may be delivered from that. The promise of God. But over a period, but so, but you don't enter into a relationship loving God. That happens over a period of time. It's like when, and, and you go back into uh, Genesis chapter 24, and we can go there. Going back to Genesis, hold your place in Matthew. In Genesis chapter 24, Abraham calls in his servant, tells his servant to to go up and to, back to the family, back to, um, and they're living down in Hebron area. And he says to go to my family's um, place that's up in Haran over on the other side of the Mesopotamia, across uh, across the uh, Euphrates. And he tells his servant, go and find a wife for my son there. This is definitely going to be a arranged marriage. Nothing, this wasn't strange in that day that, um, that marriages were arranged. It wasn't, it, there is, it was not, out of an ordinary circumstances where the the bride and the groom never met until until they never came face to face until the wedding day. How about that? How about it, Grady? Okay, mom and dad's going to arrange your marriage. Well, who am I going to marry? Well, you know, you'll see on your wedding day. Is she pretty? You'll see on your wedding day. Uh, what's she like? You'll see on your wedding day. But you won't see her until everything is arranged. Mom and dad arranges the full marriage, full wedding. And then on that day, you don't even know if you love her. Today, we we say we love somebody. Oh, I love you. I love you. You love me. We'll get married. Hey, there you go. But in that culture, no, you, you know, the marriage was arranged. So with Abraham, he sends his servant up to Padmaram, up to Ron. This is where... and. Who who is Abraham's son? Isaac, and so so he's looking for a, a bride for his son. Remember, remember this as a side note. Ishmael chose his own brides, didn't he? Ishmael went to uh, chose the brides from a Hittite uh, to Hittite brides. I don't know why they remind me of Klingons, but anyway, <laughs> nonetheless. But. Um, but Abraham takes great strides. 
and sending his servant up to Potamaram. And so you read the story. He goes up there. This is where he prays to God to that he may find a bride and that the one that's coming down carrying water that she will offer to water the camels and um, along with, with all that. And who was, who was the bride? The bride was Rebecca. Very good. And so... Um, so he comes up and he, so she, uh, she, she's introduced to the family. Laban ends up, be, her brother ends up uh, doing the negotiating. The the servant brought a bride price to pay to to give to the family, and Rebecca had to say yes or no. Will and the question was, will you, will you go? Will you go with him? Will, will you marry this man you have never seen before? In our culture today, you say, you're crazy. But she said, yes. And let me stay just a few more days here. And for whatever reason, I think it was 10 days, uh, a period of time. But the servant wanted to hurry up and get back. So finally, they, they saddled up. They got everything packed up. Now, Hebron was 400. I, I I'll be corrected on this, yeah. but it was it was hundreds of miles. I, I think I remember it to be four hundred and either four hundred twenty miles, four hundred sixty, or four hundred eighty miles. But it was, let's just say, the journey lasts for weeks to get to one place to the other, and um, could have lasted up to a month. Could be a couple weeks. Could be a month. Um, so the journey started. Now again. Has Rebecca ever met Isaac? Uh-uh. So can Rebecca say, I love Isaac? No way. I don't even know this man. So I love it. So the journey begins back with with the servant and with uh, I'm sure that they had other people in that entourage, the guards and everything else, uh, um, Abraham's people. But um Get this. Now, Rebecca would have a close relationship with the servant, the servant who was close to to Abraham. Now, love, uh, Michael, you've got, you can read this in, um, in Vernon McGee's commentary on this, but it's a beautiful story. Uh, how, 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 um, and Vernon McGee, uh, Pastor, Pastor McGee would always, he could he could paint a picture for you in your mind's eye, and he said that, and I'm paraphrasing here. And they'd be traveling along, and the night would come, and they would they'd make up, they'd have camp, and Rebecca would be with the with the servant and said, "Tell me that story again. Tell me that story about about um, about Abraham taking taking Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice." And um, tell me that story again, or tell me, or uh, what about this? And tell me about that. On that journey would be constant question, constant connection. Just, just, just that we have today. And I don't know, I don't know if we can call that a foreshadowing or type, but it certainly parallels where our journey is now, where we start off that we are married, and we have the Holy Spirit that is the servant of the Lord, and developing that relationship. We develop a relationship with the servant who teaches us about our bridegroom, the one whom we've never seen. 
And so um, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, he does a great job in, in narrating it. I love the story when he told it. And finally, the journey came to an end when the couple finally met. And that's where we'll pick up Genesis 2462. Now Isaac had come from going to Ber Laharoi, for he was living in Negev. Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, camels were coming. Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel. She said to the servant, Who is the man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, He is my master. Then she took the veil and covered herself. He never even seen her face till, till the marriage was consummated. The servant took Isaac, told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. Thus Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Where was the wedding ceremony? Da, 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 da. Oh, okay, this is my wife. Take her to the tent. And they're married. They're, that, at that point, they are married. And so they come there. They, they bring that covenant, that marriage covenant contract together. And now they learn to love one another over the course of a period of time. Gentlemen, I hope you love your wives more than than you loved her when you first married. I've talked to my young gentlemen now. Gentlemen, when you meet your wives, you go you're going to have struggle. You, you there's going to be struggle in married. Sometimes you might even ask, what did I get myself into in this marriage? Your every day is not going to be rosy glow um lovey lovey lovey. There's going to be days when you feel like knocking each other upside the head, you know, and stuff. And a lot of people, you're learning, you're tripping, you're tripping up here and there. You're, 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 you're saying wrong things. You're doing the wrong things. You, you're trying to learn to love. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't walk out. Don't work with this. It's, it's not always easy. You're learning to love, Amanda. You've, you've, uh, you know, uh, growing up, you've, you've seen bad arguments between your father and your mother, but they stayed together, didn't they? There was, there was, um, we were learning to love, and sometimes it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't work uh, for for circumstances, but. Generally, it's dealing with sin. It's dealing to to learning to love one another. And and listen, it took, Jim, I'll talk, talk to you again. It took a while for us to learn to love each other. It really did. And um, and we really, really didn't love love each other. As much as we love each other now, over the course of the period of time, and that's the same way with it coming to become a 
a a couple. And Amanda and Michael, I hope that you love each other more than you've loved which that that you loved before. Tim, Yvonne, I know you do. Certainly, Becca and I love each other more now than what we ever. Why? Really, not because we've learned each other, because we've grown closer to our Lord. And our so over so we come into that marriage, still broken people, still not knowing how to love God. But we we develop our our spiritual priorities, and we begin to grow in the Lord. So, did they fall in love? Did Isaac and did Rebecca finally fall in love? Well, in Genesis 26, 8, later on, it came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebekah. I would say they loved each other. What do you think, hon? I think they did. So we're on a journey. We're traveling with the Holy Spirit who has personal knowledge of the Son of God, our bridegroom, and over the course of the journey, in the space of time, that we are coming to love the Lord. I want, I, I want, and, and, and the measure of this as we continue to grow in our life is to become more and more excited. How many of us are more concerned? Listen, and all this is a measure, all these things you need to ask yourself. Are you, are you so concerned with this? the conditions of this world and the things that are going on in the world and the bad news that eclipses the good news that we may be on a precipice of the return of the Lord that we are going to see our bridegroom that we're finally going to be united with the one whom we love so much when you're going for those who who um, are going through you might be terminal with this or that. Tim, I know. I know your excitement and your love for the Lord. And while you want, you're like Paul, while you want and, and, and your service to the Lord and to your wife and, and, and you don't want to leave your wife and all that, I also know that you're excited about coming and meeting your Lord. And each of us are different and have different makeups. But is there excitement? Is there is there some enthusiasm about leaving behind this old body? Getting a new body and standing face to face with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There are those people who say, well, when I get to heaven, I'll be in a better place and I'll get to see all my relatives and I get to see Pop, and I get to see Donald, I get to see this, that, you know. Forget that. Oh, yeah, that's going to be great. But it doesn't even come, it doesn't even match or come close to the fact that I get to see my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face. 
Everything else is icing on the cake. All right. First Peter one eight says, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy unexpressible and full of glory. First John four seventeen through nineteen. By this love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also we in this world. There's no fear there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And just to remember, Paul's Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13.4. 1 Corinthians 13.4. What is love? This is Paul telling us about love. 1 Corinthians 13.4. Love is patient. Love is kind and love is jealous. Love is not, does not brag, not arrogant. Love does not act unprecumly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Does not take into account wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness or rejoices with the truth, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endure all things. Love never fails. But if there is gift of prophecy, it will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child. I think like a child. I reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then face to face, now I know in part. But then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love abides these three. But the greatest of these is love. Loving God must be our highest aspiration. By doing so, there is no prosperity in this life that will cause us to forget God. Loving God so there is no adversity that would cause us to curse God. There is no mountain too big to overcome by the love that God has shown for us. There's no the love for our lives and the love for our own our own relationships in this world does not compare for our love for the Lord. Like Jacob, how does one self-centered like Jacob, how does one self-centered like me can come to the love of God when I failed so much and continue to do so? Well, it's like Jacob when Jacob was wrestling with the Lord and Jacob was holding on and the Lord says, let me go because daybreak is coming. And what did Jacob say? I will not let you go until you bless me. Keep holding on. 
keep holding on. And how do I know that I am I am coming close to the objective that's set before me? First John five one through three. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. As we transition over to our communion service, let me just finish out with the communion service here. It does boil down to who and what Christ is. To not forget, we can get caught up in so many things in this life. And as I've just said, it can be prosperity. It can be adversity. It can be even ministry. There are many things that distract us from our love for God. So it, there's a time when we come together. And our time now is in the communion service. And our question is, who is this God who we love? And who is his son whom we love whom we sent? Who is the one whom we respond to? And what is it that we respond to and love? Back to God. For it was God who sent his only begotten son. It was motivated by his love that we should not perish but have eternal life. And it was impossible for God, a God of uh, who is perfect in every way, to arbitrarily forgive man for his sin. When Adam sinned, we've all sinned, and we've entered into the human race, spirit, uh, physically alive but spiritually dead. And so from the very beginning of the scripture, God loved what he had created. And God is love. He did not love Adam any less prior to the fall or after the fall than he did prior to the fall. And so when man sinned, he sinned within the body and he became a, a sinner. And from the very beginning, um, he, though man sinned and he was subject to the second death, there was consequences that had to be paid. Going back to Genesis chapter, Genesis chapter 3, there was one there was one um, judgment, and that was eternal death. But there was all these things that were consequences. I won't read all three. You know that they 
took from the tree. They saw that the neck, they put on fig leaves. God um, came, Adam, where are you? He began, he spoke to the serpent first. Um, and he said to the serpent, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And she shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth, and the pain you will bear forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband. He will rule over you. Then to Adam, he said, because you have listened to your voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Our Lord, in his humanity, that the bread that we are about to take is a picture of his true humanity. He suffered everything that Adam is said would be the consequences of his sin. Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles. Remember, it was that it was the crown of, of thorns that was placed upon his head shall, shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field, which Jesus did. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground. And the sweat, sweat blood droppers will remember that. It, Jesus Christ was human because from it you were taken and from it you are dust and dust you shall return. Except in this case, this last Adam will defeat death. Our Lord Jesus Christ was not imaginary. He, was, he wasn't a figment of people's imagination. He wasn't an honorary angel. He was born. He had a human lineage. He came into this world. Uh, animals could not take uh, animals. Bulls, blood, blood of bulls and goats could not satisfy the justice of God. But a body was prepared for Jesus. He was true humanity. He had set aside the attributes of his divine nature in order to take on the form of man. And it was that man who went, who suffered and who bled for us on the cross. This is what, and as we take and the um, bread this morning, let us think of these facts. Let's Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, come to you this morning, as we do each morning, but on this occasion that you said to do this in remembrance of thee. Let us know that our God, our Father, and you are persons. You have a personage. You're not a figment of our imagination. You're not some ideology. And it is God the Father who sent thee to this earth, on, upon this earth, to stand in our place. It wasn't Barabbas that was our sub. You didn't take just for Barabbas his cross, but you took our cross. You took our punishment. Your son took our own punishment in his own body. 
And that was an act of love. It was an act of love that you sent your son. It was an act of love that your son took our place upon the cross. And by reflecting and, and meditating on these things, may it be that our love for thee will be a response of this knowledge that someone, while, I was, while we were yet sinners, took our place that we might be made the righteousness in him. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, it's going to be our custom to retain the bread until all have been served. Jesus says to the Father in Hebrews chapter 10 that the Father did not desire the blood of bulls and goats, but a body that was prepared for him to do God's will. And it was God's will to bring many sons into glory. But the sin issue had to be taken care of first. But these bulls and animals could not Stand in the place of guilty man. Man sinned. Man had to also stand in judgment. And it was Jesus Christ, the perfect humanity, that stood for us. So when he gathered his disciples in the upper room, he broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, This, my body, take and eat.
on the night that he was betrayed or he was in anguish blood droplets were coming down from his forehead and it was and he was in anguish and what was it that he was so concerned with was it was it the beatings well, and, and and the beatings were horrendous. That would, that does the the ripping the skin right off his back and with the Roman flagrums. Was it the mocking? Was it the illegal trials? Was it everything combined to take him up to the cross? And I'd say none of that was as bad. All of that did not compare to what Jesus probably was actually in anguish about. Even being nailed to the cross was not all that bad compared to what was getting ready to happen at noontime. Because when noon came and darkness fell over Golgotha, it was then that Jesus actually took the place of the sinner. That which he hated so much, sin. That which violates his perfect and his perfect righteousness, his perfect holiness, was thrown upon him. And with that being thrown upon him was the judgment of God that was poured out upon him. As he screamed out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? He was alone to bear the sins of humanity and he had to hold on for those three hours. And maybe in his anguish, he wasn't sure that he would be able to even accomplish this. But he had to. When it says that the blood of Jesus, it's not his figurative blood. But it's the his life for the blood in the Old Testament was the was the life of the animal. Jesus gave his all, his entire life, in order that we might become the righteousness in him. So as we receive the cup, let us think about the sacrifice. Because Hebrews tells us that. It's, it can be said that without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And Jesus shed his own blood in order that we might live. Let us think on these things as we receive the cup. We will, we will retain the cup until all have been served.
1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed by perishable things like silver and gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he has foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake for you. When he was in the upper room, he gave, he blessed the cup, gave it to his disciples, and said, drink of it, all of you. Father in heaven, we recognize this morning, as we've been taught and we've gone over the principles of love, We love because you first loved us. You've opened up the door and you showed us the greatest. Your grace and your mercy motivated by your love. That we might have life. Life everlasting. Not because you had to. Not because you needed to. But only for the sake of your love. And the demonstration of your love to us and to the angels. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will continue to live a life that is worthy and that our days may be a, a, a life of gratitude responding to that so great love. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We'll close out as we will stand. We'll close out with When I Surveyed the Wondrous Cross.